Hi, this is Scott Burns. And this is Tony Burns with Love in America. Coming to you from the crooked little house in Deadwood, South Dakota. Speaking of Deadwood, South Dakota, what's going on this week? Well, we have a lot of, um, I think you could say everyday people okay. uh, here in South Dakota. And uh, we so that we're going to make that our theme for this oh, week. Oh, I like that. Everyday, everyday pe- people. Yeah. <laughs> we, we thought about originally calling the episode Down to Earth, which, right. which also works. And but it seemed like that would be better for like um, um, Roswell, New Mexico. Stuff. Right. <laughs> and we have some stuff from Roswell. We too. may need to do it down to earth. <laughs> anyway, I did a quick yes. Google search mm-hmm. for the terms down to earth mm-hmm. and South Dakota. Oh, dear. And I thought you'd like to know what came up. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm ready uh, for it. A Google search for down to earth and South Dakota returns some of the following. I won't do all of them. Uh, we made the list for potential crash sites for the Chinese Tiangong 1 space station. Alrighty. It was coming down to earth. But it was potential. (laughs) It was. We missed it. We missed it. Okay. It might have hit North Dakota, but nobody would have known. So, um, (laughs) sorry guys. Uh, Also returned the down to earth market in T, South Dakota, which I think is near Waterton. T-E-E? T-E-A. Like T, like drinking tea. Yeah, in T, South Dakota. Really? What is it? Well, in typical South Dakota fashion, the boutique has no website, just a Facebook page (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't explain what they sell or when they're open. Uh, oh. But it does, have, however, have a few sexy pictures of Danielle, the owner, who's received 4,000 likes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Down to Earth, South Dakota also shows the South Dakota Motorcycle Accident Handbook. Oh, dear. (laughs) I think that's a practical joke on Google's part, putting such a thing under Down to Earth. That is wrong. (laughs) uh, The eight best craft stores in South Dakota. Okay. I checked and Down to Earth Boutique wasn't on the list. So either that's not what they sell or they're only the ninth best at it. Okay. <laughs> a TripAdvisor review page for Mexican restaurant in Hill City. Oh. Uh, it had two reviews, rated two and a half dots because one guy loved it and one hated it before it closed in 2012. Oh, that's probably because South Dakota's Mexican moved here to Deadwood around the same that, time. I think you're right. We mm-hmm. know that fella and he's pretty cool. He's actually a really nice guy. <laughs> And finally, there was a, a listing for the South Dakota Film Festival showing of the Stan Hurd film, Down to Earth. Really? He's an international earthwork artist, creating large-scale images of the earth that are best viewed from above. Above the earth? Uh, yeah, Stan <laughs> fa- yeah, exactly. Stan found his canvas in the fields of his family farm, working with wheat, sunflowers, other crops, and found objects. And two of his first Kansas installations were 160-acre portraits of Kiowa War Chief Satanta and Will Rogers. <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody flies over South Dakota, Stan. <laughs> Aside from that Bob, is... who's the crop duster guy down by yeah, Sturgis. Yeah, down by Sturgis, yeah. <laughs> so, there's more, but uh, we're getting down to earth all over the U.S. Yes, in this episode, yes, not just in South Dakota, mm-hmm. with um, our love story this week, mm-hmm. which is the story of everyday guy Bob Newhart and his oh, wife, Ginny. Love Bob. <laughs> Midwestern love guy. Bob. <laughs> our couple story this week, our feature is... Cindy and Steve from... Oh, what? area of Alabama were they? Montgomery. Montgomery. Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> yep. We actually met them in a Harley Davidson <laughs> yep. dealership and just started chatting with them and after about five minutes went, could we put you on film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we must document this because no one else no will believe us. No one's going to believe it. <laughs>
And our narrative from our book, Love in America, currently called <laughs> Love yeah. in America, The Roads to Happily Ever After. But in is... the process of being revamped. Yep. We're... Oh, I like revamping. Revamping. <laughs> so get, getting sexy all over again. <laughs> our narrative is a, so is a song, a story from South Dakota called Cookies. I used to like cookies. What happened? I can't eat them. <laughs> you still like them from I afar. I still like them from afar. <laughs> My unrequited cookie love. <laughs> There's a song in there, too. All that more coming up on... Love in America. talking about everyday people okay and one of the things because we originally started with the whole down-to-earth thing uh -huh. and honestly after having traveled the whole US every place has its different feel and, and you know culture and, mm -hmm. and, and smells <laughs> everything else <laughs> but the one thing that I found about the South that really kind of surprised me is it's such a, if you want to look for everyday people down-to-earth people mm -hmm. go to the South because well, and that's one of the reasons why we've explored all these different cultures, mm -hmm. is trying to show that these stories, what makes life worth living and what makes things important to people are something that we share. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, we're talking about everyday people down south or right. the military bases or the reservations or all the other places we've gone. Folks right. is folks. Folks is folks. But when we certainly met a couple of folks. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Any, we did. Anybody that followed us last year or what, a couple of years ago, um, followed the trials and tribulations of our tires. Yeah. Four <laughs> tires within just a couple thousand miles. <laughs> Three of them were mine. <laughs> and a wheel bearing that mashed out in yep. Montgomery, Alabama. Yep. So we pulled over and this wonderful man found us on the side of the road and he had him tow us to the dealership in Montgomery, Alabama and the next morning we showed up, because this was after hours, um, to see what was going on and if they could fix my poor bike and we met Steve <laughs> and Cindy. And Steve and Cindy were an... Steve and Cindy were a force. They were a force. We spent just five minutes talking to them and then went, well, can we record you? Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing they had to talk about was... Uh, what makes a healthy long-term relationship? And it wasn't theirs they were talking about. A cruise we were on, um, they had an a, a afternoon thing, the dating game kind of thing, and they had picked out three couples already, like a newlywed, and then somebody like a 25-year, and then... Uh, An elderly oh, couple. Uh, yeah, they'd been married like, it was the 50th, no, it was like the 65th or something. And one of the questions were, where is the oddest place or the most distinct place you've ever made love? Well, Grandpa jumps up there and he said, do you remember that time in Minnesota or whatever against that tree? <laughs> Well, I mean, I was like, Grandpa, oh God, this is horrible. <laughs> and they're just laughing. <laughs> so apparently the secret to a long-term relationship is not being afraid to share uh -huh. in front of families and strangers. And, and, <laughs> and being in touch with nature. <laughs> Which led to one of the more interesting proposal stories yes. <laughs> that we've heard. I was at Goose Bay, Labrador, Canada, on air base up there. And I knew a lot of the people up there and stuff. And one of the guys I was in the barracks with was a telephone operator. So we picked a time that I could call on the payphone and it wouldn't charge me. Oh, well, now the truth comes out. But go so, ahead. Didn't I, even pay for a phone call. No, it was free. And I called her. Uh, 
And I asked her, I said, uh, I want to ask you a question. She says, what? I said, will you marry me? <laughs> and I heard this, wham! It's like, what in the world? I mean, you know. And I heard her mom in the background say something like, he asked you, didn't he? She gets the phone back on. She says, what did you just say? And I said it again. And she's <laughs> like, uh, I can't talk about this right now. I said, okay. She said, I've got a date tonight. I said, okay. That's fine. And she says, I'll talk to you later. I said, okay. <laughs> and so did you did you go on the date? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we all went. And we were going to get pizza. And I don't remember what else. Probably the movies. Something. Yeah, pizza. <laughs> I mean, come on. Pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, there's nothing wrong with being frugal. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and if there's pizza involved, I mean, yeah. who, could, who could possibly resist? Who can resist that? But, you know, after all that, of course, the question was, when did you say yes? When and where did that finally happen? I had to go to combat training at Camp Bullis, Texas, for seven weeks. And I came home so we could kind of, like, talk about what we were going to do, if we were going to whatever, you know. And she's like, well, yeah, okay, maybe. Kind of, you know, not real... <laughs> affirmed either way you know when i come home her and i was walking by roger butler's jeweler downtown selma and we were talking about it and i said well let's just go in and just look at rings just you know and wound up buying rings on the 18th of june well and, and i happened to you had i was graduating from high school so i'd gotten gifts like money gifts so i spent my high school graduation money on a Oh, that is so sad. Oh, well, that is so and here sad. I am too, and I buy, I buy one. She buys one. We come outside and we go to sit there in the car for a minute with our rings. And I said, I guess we're going to do this, huh? She, yeah, I guess so. They pulled together a wedding and had a whole little church thing, and um, I mean, I had on my veil the other day, getting ready to go to this wedding. I just yanked that thing out, and that's all I can fit in anymore. <laughs> and put my veil on and walked around in the house in it and then we put it on our grandson and made him into a ghost and he walked around in it. They showed remarkable shared independence with each buying their own <laughs> rings, I think. I love that. We actually had to flip back on that when we were listening to the tape and go, did he really say they bought their own rings? <laughs> and, Holy cow! But, you know, 18 years old, 18, 19 years old, it's having bought amazing. their own rings. So with that, the, of course, the, the most obvious question is, well, how did your families accept each other? I mean, that's a pretty young relationship. How did the families accept Steve as a son-in-law and Cindy as a daughter-in-law? Well, and, and this was, uh, you know, Cindy actually stepped outside the humor and had a pretty touching mm-hmm. example of oh. what their families meant to each other. Yes. Steve's mom said that when she married Steve's dad, his parents had somebody else picked out for him. And that his family treated her so horribly and she said she remembers sitting on their back steps holding Steve as an infant and said to him, I will love whoever you pick. And I think about that now, her holding that baby and saying, I will love whoever you pick and I will accept whoever you pick. And there's been a plenty Steve's mother could have said to me, I know. She has never to my knowledge, and I don't think she probably ever actually even has, never to my knowledge said one unkind word about me, ever. Well, your mama was the same way about me. Well, she loved you. She thought you were just God's gift to the world. That's where, you know, she was wrong, but... <laughs> anyway. Ciao!
But, you know, 18 years old, 18, 19 years old, having bought their own rings, and then he immediately was, uh, had some immediate military challenges to their relationship, which many of you might be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. On the 12th of July, I left and went to Adana, Turkey. She was supposed to come. Got all the shots, everything. Mm-hmm. And they said, no dependent travel to Turkey. So I spent 15 months in Turkey, having only been married 14 days. We didn't fight a lot during those 14 months. (laughs) We don't offer advice, and and we don't ask so much for advice from couples as Mm -hmm. much as we have a question called the card. Right. And if you just had a simple business-sized card, and you had to write a a tip for how to get through those tough times, Mm -hmm. what would your card say? They had no shortage of stuff to write on the card. <laughs> Pick your fights. If it's not really, really important to you, mean something to you on a personal level, let it go. And really mean something. I mean, not beliefs, like whether you're going to have, you know, blinking Christmas tree lights, which we did fight over. Um, it's hard to really believe. True. Well, mm-hmm, I, I wasn't going to have them. Well, and don't go into it ever thinking that there's a back door to get out. If you ever let that thought enter your mind that, well, we can end this, then it opens the door to end it. You know, and with everything that they said on that card, which is going to have to be a much larger card now, uh-huh. apparently, they didn't say anything about humor. But as you've heard from the very beginning, that sort of defined their entire lives. <laughs> so they knew how they found it and how to express it and how to recommend it to other people. Uh, <laughs> but the turnaround to that question is, why do you think other people don't find it? What you guys have is pretty special. How come that doesn't happen for everybody? They don't turn to each other. I'm sorry? They don't turn in. When they have a problem, they turn out like the other family members or friends or... Well, we were lucky in that. And, I, and we could have... I mean, it's not like we were brilliant and just knew not to do that. But it happened. But, we, but how good would it be if, honestly, your first year of marriage, you had to move away? We'd uh, often say if you took a map... And just... Right in the middle, you drew an 800-mile circle around it. And you had to live outside that circle. And the reason for that is you're still close enough, you can come home or you can go there, but it's far enough away, you can't do it on a whim. You know, so what I'm saying is basically, if you have problems, turn inward, deal with the problem. I'm not sure I could do 800 miles. (laughs) Well, we're doing 350 right now. Yeah, that's true, that's true. You're gonna close at the beginning now. I'm gonna start back at the beginning. Because And only because when we asked what the funniest or most memorable date was for them, turned out it was their first one. So the, I wanted to take her out nice. So I got Mama's car all cleaned up and gassed up and got everything ready and stuff. And here's me and Cindy sat there. And, uh, it was not sleazy like it sounds, and there was going to be no kind of weirdness going on because there was not. And I ended up somehow klutzy. She knocked the, one of those big gallon things, the popcorn, all over the car. Then, in the process of trying to deal with it, knocked the coke over one of these big tall cokes, and we just laughed. It's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it took me four hours to get filled up, cleaned up, everything just on the car. Because it know. was a date to him. It was my mom's car. <laughs> So it just does my heart good to know I'm not the clumsiest person in the world. <laughs> well, you weren't. You've, you both had some time to work on it since then. Yes. 
<laughs> well, and then we also, starting back at the beginning, she also summed it up with uh, talking about grandkids and how much they love grandkids. You know, if I knew what I do then now, I'd have probably had about a dozen kids just to have about 20 or more Oh, you grandkids. wouldn't have had a dozen with me. <laughs> Not with me. <laughs> <laughs> Love to run into them again, or well, uh, run Not across literally. them yeah, again run across them, yes. sometime <laughs> soon and compare notes on that and other things. Oh, definitely. Well, you know, I'm, this is kind of a weird segue, but I was thinking about when we were chatting with them, uh-huh. they were sitting on a couch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and speaking of couches, ah. which psychologists use, I see where you're going with see? this. See? <laughs> yes. Coming up uh, in our Love and History, we're going to introduce you to, or reintroduce you, reintroduce you, to comedian Bob Newhart and his wife, Jenny, and their lifelong love. Yes, and he's not a real psychologist. He just played one on TV. <laughs> you can say that, too. <laughs> All this and more coming up on... Love in America. <laughs> Have you ever thought about all the things that wouldn't exist without you? Yes, actually I have. Really? Yeah, especially our children. <laughs> yeah, well, your birthday party would be pretty meaningless. Yep, yep. Some people think the universe itself wouldn't exist if you weren't here to experience it. Oh, that's... But we know we wouldn't exist without you. And that's where you come in. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on Love in America, mm-hmm. you can support us at... Patreon.com slash Love in America. We need you. And you need us. And together, <laughs> we make the universe exist. That theme, that theme music is probably the funkiest, most I urban know. thing about Bob Newhart I ever. <laughs> uh, he must not have written it. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I don't think he could dance to it. <laughs> no, I don't. I know, he didn't strike me as much of a dancer. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. He's got lots of other qualities. You know, Bob Newhart fits perfectly in with our theme of oh, everyday yes. people. Yes. Um, especially as a comedian, because, you, you know, that's a field where a lot of performers, most performers, are known for leveraging peculiarities. Right. You know, in insecurities that make him stand out. You think of like Woody Allen or Ralphie Mae with Mm -hmm. his weight. Mm -hmm. But with Bob Newhart, it's that that very kind of befuddled everyday fellow <laughs> persona that makes him memorable and unique. <laughs> he stands out exactly because he's the antithesis yes. of a misfit. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. He, he is the wallflower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the and that's not wallflower. a shtick. He really is this gloriously <laughs> genuine product of a middle-class wonderbred Midwestern world. <laughs> and he consciously honed that personality to perfection as his oh act. Oh my gosh. But in his late 20s, Bob Newhart looked like he was destined to actually become that real-life Dilbert really? <laughs> forever Aww. as an accountant in a stereotypical Chicago <laughs> office building. He didn't even have to change his name from something no. exotic or difficult to pronounce because Mm-mm. he was born George Robert Newhart Yep. on September 5th, 1929. His father was part owner of a plumbing and heating supply business. <laughs> his dad's name was George. George. So Bob went by 
Bob. Bob, yeah. <laughs> His mother, Pauline, was uh-huh. this a classic golden age American housewife. Okay. You, you could practically see her as a model for like spick and span. Yeah, yeah, with the apron. With Gotta the apron. have the apron, yep, the hair yep. perfectly done. <laughs> Visiting Mrs. Olson when the coffee's not right. <laughs> and so the family was like this classically middle American, West Side Chicago, oh devoutly Catholic. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, his middle sister, Mary Joan, became an actual sister. She's a oh, nun. Oh, she's a nun. <laughs> sister oh Mary gosh. Jo Newhart. So, Newhart described his childhood as comfortable and neither more nor less hilarious than anyone else's. <laughs> he was educated in Catholic schools where even holding hands with a girl in public is considered was considered provocative. Uh-huh. So he grew up as this polite, well-behaved young man. He graduated from St. Ignatius High School in 1947, uh-huh. majored in accounting of course. at Loyola University in Chicago, <laughs> received a, a degree as Bachelor of Science in Commerce. In Commerce and in, Accounting. In 1952. Mm-hmm. Newhart was drafted into the Army during the Korean War and served stateside as a personnel manager. <laughs> <laughs> Until his, oh my God! Until his discharge in 1954, and after the war, uh, he worked for United States Gypsum as an accountant. Isn't it? Well, we're back to the accountant. There but you he, go. But he said his motto: "That's mm-hmm. close enough." <laughs> <laughs> And his habit of adjusting petty cash imbalances with his own money oh, no. proved that he didn't have the temperament to be an accountant. No. So, so moving on from there, he worked as a clerk in the state unemployment office, making $55 a week, but he quit when he learned that unemployment benefits were $45 a week, <laughs> and, and he only had to come to the office once a week to collect it. So that, oh that, that gloriously pedestrian background, oh coupled goodness. with this Jack Benny-like wit, yes. is exactly why Newhart's humor turned out to be you know gentle and less edgy and accessible to right. a more general audience than <laughs> a lot of other comedians. Before Newhart's first comedy album, The Button-Down Mind of Bob Newhart, <laughs> He wasn't big enough to get into nightclubs, so he tried out all his early material at talent shows in local churches. Oh, which that seems like right. that would fit really well. It did. Well, it did. But even there, you know, that droll straight lace style had his audiences just sort of sitting on their hands because they were expecting pratfalls, right. you know, or ribald jokes. And Newhart just never did those things. He was more of a comedic storyteller. Right. Uh, he was his own straight man. Right. right. <laughs> so, exactly. But the album won a Grammy for wow. Best Comedy Performance. And his career took off. In fact, he said while most comedians spend years working the ropes and learning mm-hmm. the craft, mm-hmm. he had to do that from the top. His first two albums were the only two albums to sit number one and number two on the Billboard charts. Wow. Until someone else pulled it off. And my, my daughter, who was in the record business, said that that's a record that no one had for like 30 weeks until it was broken by Axl Rose. It was broken, but that record was broken many, yeah, many years number, later by, Ax, by Axl Rose from I Guns N' Roses. The number one, and, the, and of course, you hate to lose the record, but at least it went to a friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Bob Newhart. Such a dry wit, too. I could see how initially, if people didn't know his humor, uh-huh. they would just be going, was was that a joke? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to picture Bob and Axel together, <laughs> sharing some Shirley Temples. <laughs> 
but because he really was this genuinely down-to-earth right. middle-class midwesterner and his fame came to him in his 30s that maturity and his sense of identity meant that he took it all in stride he, right he didn't flame out like a lot of other young entertainers yes. and yes. celebrities do so by 1961 newhart was such a successful and busy comedian he didn't have any time for dating and so he rarely met eligible women mm-hmm. even though marriage and family were definitely in his plans right. yeah especially in that generation you mm-hmm. got to give george and pauline lots of catholic grandkids yes exactly <laughs> so, it was actually comedian buddy hackett who set up bob and virginia quinn's first blind date in los angeles in 1962 really yeah jenny babysat hackett's children and she recalled that buddy came back one day and said in his own inimitable way i met this young guy and his name's bobby newhart he's a comic and he's a catholic and you're a catholic and i think maybe you should marry each other <laughs> marry not me <meet. laughs> no no <laughs> buddy didn't beat around the bush apparently oh my gosh. so they had dinner and played pool at hackett's home and mm-hmm. discovered that they had a lot more in common than just geography and religion <laughs> but jenny admits she had her doubts bob was certain they'd marry but jenny's father was a character actor bill quinn mm-hmm. so she, she was kind of familiar with show business mm-hmm. and those experiences growing up in an entertainer's family yes. and she was determined not, not to marry, to marry the show one. business <laughs> she said i didn't want to marry an actor who didn't get a paycheck every week <laughs> Uh, Better to have married an accountant. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that apprehension lasted right up until they were married on January 12th, 1963. She Mm -hmm. said she was so nervous when she walked down the aisle at St. Victor's Church, her veil was shaking. Oh. Her father whispered to her, sweetheart, I can still get you out of this. (laughs) No. But Jenny, Jenny reports she's never regretted the marriage, even when cleaning out Bob's closet or being teased about what he calls her all caps planned activity time. <laughs> or when he complains that the house is so neat it looks like they're expecting real estate agents. <laughs> Uh, Suzanne Plachette, uh, who played one of Newhart's television mm-hmm. wives, along yep. with Mary Fran, he always had these gorgeous TV wives, and she was never jealous of any of them. They right. were all friends as well. Um, but Suzanne Plachette said that Ginny is so right for Bob. What they both are today is a result of years of loving and living, Aww. and many of his most attractive qualities are those that have flowered in his marriage to Ginny. Oh, I know. <laughs> so soon after they married, Bob and Ginny bought a Beverly Hills home mm-hmm. where they got started on that grandbaby's plan. Yep. They raised four children, two boys and two girls. But because <laughs> they both grew up in these strict Catholic households, they brought up their and brought up their children as Catholics too, but with one difference. Ginny says we didn't want the children to have the same guilt. And fears that were instilled in us so their home was always child-centered uh-huh. with toys scattered around and pets in abundance and a playhouse built next to their paddleball court oh i love it by hired help because bob's proven to be a lot better at pretending to be a psychologist than a carpenter <laughs> <laughs> so. did he have any hospi- hospital visits shown in there <laughs> I'm sure he did. so a, a devoted father newhart still struggled disciplining his kids mm-hmm. and although the family often joined him on the road especially during long summer bookings in Las Vegas and Tahoe he was away often for his work so Jenny had to have kind of a come to Jesus talk with him about disciplining the kids when they reached their teens Mm -hmm. adding in one interview he was fine with the boys later but I have to face it he'll never discipline Jennifer or Courtney (laughs) when somebody once asked him how he'd react when the girl's boyfriend started coming around he said they're gonna be wealthy spinsters 
Socially, the Newharts have never been much for parties and carousing. Yeah. They, they prefer a small group of friends they know best, which has included Dick Martin, mm -hmm. Buddy Hackett, and Bob's lifelong best friend, uh -huh. Don Rickles. Say what? Anybody out listening who knows Don Rickles, he has a very... Um, acerbic wit. Beyond acerbic. He's insulting. But, he has very insulting But humor. behind the scenes, they had a lot in common. Their wives really? both say that they were two of the sweetest guys ever. That's really a love story in itself. Don is, uh, is my, best, my best friend, which just gives you some idea of the difficulty I have in making friends. <laughs> but Don has not done that well in television. Uh, he's had four series now. Uh, the last one, a couple of Dons, received a minus four Nielsen rating. <laughs> this means not only that no one watching, but several people without TV sets had heard about the show and said if they got one, they wouldn't watch it. In typical Don Rickles form, before he passed away in April last year, he said of Bob Newhart, I love the guy. He's Mr. America in a crowd. Charlie everybody. <laughs> he is Charlie <laughs> The American everybody. flag with a ribbon tied around him. Not Jewish, not Italian. I'm different. I don't live and relive everything I do on stage. I come from a Jewish family where men kissed, shook up Bob. <laughs> I remember the first time I embraced him, it was like holding on to an ice cake. <laughs> so Barbara and Don Rickles also often traveled with the Newharts on vacations, usually on cruises, which must have been a riot, oh, especially wow. with Bob's natural naivete and Rickles' acerbic wit uh -huh. that you mentioned mingled. No matter where we went, we'd go to Hong Kong. They'd say, oh, we have the sushi mohohoyo, and we have the wonton oko. And my bar would say, oh, listen, I'll take the Baja Cuba and I'll just bring us everything. It'll be nice. And I said, yeah, whatever Barbara says. What are you going to have, Bob? Do you have spaghetti bouillonnaise? The man has no idea where the hell he is. Because <laughs> so, it's safe. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's a known commodity. <laughs> When, when they were asked about their marriage by a magazine writer, Jenny revealed that, like anybody, they'd had their fights. Mm -hmm. And she described some of them as pretty good ones. And she added, he's a very patient man to have stayed married to me for 55 years. Wow. <laughs> I'm a little bit more New York, and he's definitely Midwest. Most New Yorkers aren't so retiring and shy. <laughs> In 2013, Ginny survived liver cancer and a oh transplant my. that she said brought them even closer, more aware of their gift of one another mm -hmm. and of their own mortality, especially as they've reached their 80s. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's hard I to know. imagine. He's I in know. his 80s. <laughs> so their four children have gone on to various careers, um, with only their daughter Courtney appearing on Newhart and their oldest Bob briefly entering the entertainment world in a movie called Heart and Souls with Robert Downey. Oh. Uh, he played a character named Bob. <laughs> this seems to be a theme in the family. Well, I was wondering if that was inspired by the whole Daryl and my other brother Daryl thing right. from the Newhart show. Right. <laughs> so, but Bob Newhart's website now proudly mentions that none of the children are currently in show business. <laughs> when their youngest grandson, uh, who was 10 at the time, Asher, returned home after visiting during Ginny's surgery recovery, his father asked him, did you have a great time at Yaya and Poppy's? And he said, yeah, I saw the cousins, and we went out to dinner, and Yaya and Poppy babysat us. Poppy doesn't really do much, but then he is really old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, perhaps, young Padawan, but you'll come to see that people may get old, but love like your poppy and yayas never does. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So welcome oh. to the Midwestern Splendor. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed Hope the tale. Everyday people. <laughs> As you were flying over. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, oh and we'll be goodness. right back with our story from Love in America, The Roads to Happily Ever After, and a tale called cookies. Ooh, I love cookies. I love you for all ages. Tales from the Heart of America are produced by Scott and Tony Burns in the crooked little house of Deadwood, South Dakota. And are part of the Love in America podcast. To learn more, visit our site at loveinamerica.us. Love in America and Tales from the Heart of America are distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Woohoo! We are in the big leagues. Oh, hey, baby. <laughs> Cookies, a tale from the heart of America. We rolled off the silty dirt roads of Crow Peak above Spearfish, South Dakota, amid a low-hanging fog, a mist of drizzle in the air, hazing our windscreens and dampening our creaking leathers. It was the first time since we'd left the June rains of Colorado that we'd fully geared up for cold weather riding. Though the multicolored digital amoebas crawling across my mobile radar app suggested we'd be out from under the heaviest cloud by the time we reached Montana, the morning was brisk and rocks sticking to the bike tires flung themselves against the fenders, tinkling like ice and kicking cold mud out behind us in ruddy fans. Once we found pavement again, the prospect of riding the open western plains ringed by distant mountains was a pleasant enough prospect but the warmth and smiles we took with us were only partly due to the ride ahead. We had cookies. Still warm from Nadine Copeland's oven, the co-owner of Spearfish's Diamond M Ranch Bed and Breakfast thrust them into our gloves as we turned the fully loaded bikes around so Myron, her irrepressible beau, could snap a final photo of us. And the parting supply was, I hope, Nadine's way of showing she'd mostly forgiven me for declining her offer of another piece of bacon egg bake before we left. No one leaves Myron and Nadine's place hungry. And that's not just measured in egg bake and warm chocolate chip cookies, but in the fullness of spirit felt after spending time with people who are making life better. Theirs and yours. Their open love of others was a natural expression of their faith and their characters. We've delved into many types and timbres of love during our journeys, of course. The love within relationships, sure, but also the loves of place, the love of purpose, love of children and hard work. But seldom have we come across a couple who combined and captured all of them so completely, offering the same back naturally to the world around them. Our interview with this quietly inspiring South Dakota ranch couple was among the longest and richest we've enjoyed on this journey, and it expressed many bits of wisdom that reflected some common refrains we've heard from other devoted couples, but also Nadine and Myron's own unique take on those elements. Among these was the response to one of our key questions. Why do you think some people never find happiness, their own happily ever after? In the montage of replies we've received, 
there's near consensus that one of the key reasons for this is that many people's expectations just aren't realistic, or that they simply don't know what they're looking for. Myron had a simpler and yet deeper take on this riff when he replied, with his signature smile pulling up one corner of his mouth, laugh lines emphasizing his sincerity. He said, some people just don't know if they'll like what they want. The line went by me at first, as there were so many things the couple said that inspired further query and conversation at the time. But as I listened back to the raw video, I sat stunned by the insight Myron had captured with that simple observation. Some people just don't know if they'll like what they want. There's another common response to the same question that Kendrick and Amber offered when we interviewed them in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A young African-American couple raising kids on the bare outskirts of a rough neighborhood, renting rooms, driving Uber cars, and working several jobs to make ends meet and raise their sons. They shared a bond that was open-hearted and content. When we asked them how they'd achieved such a placid contentment at their early age and amidst some significant challenges, they told us that they consciously tried to never compare themselves to anyone else. About this, Kendrick said, you usually either set the bar too low to mean anything or so high that you'll never be satisfied. You'll always be jealous of somebody for something you don't have and then find out that you always need something bigger and better if you ever actually get what you thought you had to have. You can't chase other people's lives. Having had time during the ride afterward to contemplate Myron's and Kendrick's words, and how these two very different people and couples had put happiness into such profound perspective, I recounted the things that I've seen people desire and then suddenly receive, and how that indeed seldom resulted in lasting happiness. Usually when achievements were the product of long and determined effort and difficult decisions made over time, the odds for contentment were pretty good. But unexpected rapid wealth, romantic infatuations, and material desires suddenly realized never amounted to a sense of fulfillment, and we haven't found such things among the contented couples we've encountered. They made sure they valued what they wanted, and so they found their happiness in one another, and in their own achievements, rather than in comparisons to anyone or anything else. In turn, I had to consider what it is that I want, and what are the things that I've received that make me truly happy? Do I value the right things? I hope that I do, I believe I do, because I think that gratitude is the name I can give to the appreciation of what's made me profoundly happy. Music, teaching, writing, my mom and dad, family and friends, good dogs, my constantly amazing bride, and two adult children who make their parents so proud and cookies. Warm chocolate chip cookies from a friend on a cold morning in South Dakota. So thanks for joining us this week for the Love in America podcast. Love in America is produced by Scott and Tony Burns in the Crooked Little House in Deadwood, South Dakota. <laughs> to learn more, visit our website at loveinamerica.us. 
Love in America and Tales from the Heart of America are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. (laughs) And we are looking forward to sharing the love with you next time on... Love in America. (laughs) Hey, there's more to that story. (laughs) There's always more to the story. (laughs) 